10, 15. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. 45, 50. Pass the 50. 35, 40. Pass the 30. To the 20. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. Hello again, everyone. This is the Old College Tribe. This is your host, Tim Highland, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mike Unger. Mike, very simply, as I texted you all on Saturday, uh, this first lovely weekend of college football, this sport always delivers. It started uh, on this weekend on Thursday night with some thrilling games. Friday night, a thrilling game that possibly only I and a few other sickos in Indiana and Illinois watch, but it was a great ending for the Hoosiers, and it continued all through the weekend. It was five days uh, of outstanding football, and you're right, Tim. It always delivers. That's why we keep coming back year after year doing this podcast to deliver to our fans as well. It delivers. Like we, we always on this show, like there'll be a weekend where it's kind of like, oh, not not a lot of great games coming up this weekend, and then the, there's always like three or four that are just like phenomenal. And I think a lot of the most entertaining games of this past weekend were definitely ones that were like not high on the national radar. Right. They were entertaining. They were high on our radar, though. <laughs> entertaining as hell. Um, so, Mike, I know you were traveling this weekend. You went to a music festival or something like that? Correct. I was in the great state of Indiana at the All In Music Festival at the uh, fairgrounds in Indianapolis. Miraculously, for being out of the state and at a concert most of the weekend, I saw a fair amount of football, like I said, because it started on Thursday night and I was home Friday night. Watch some Saturday afternoon, watch some of the Clemson game on uh, my flight home Monday. I feel like I got a good flavor for the ball uh, in between watching some incredible performances by Trampled by Turtles, Mike Campbell on the Dirty Knobs. He played guitar for Tom Petty. There was a Dawes set that, that was a tribute to Tom Petty. I saw Hall and Oates. It was a great, great weekend of, of music. Um, sounds wonderful. Mike Campbell, phenomenal guitar, but so underrated as a guitar player, right? He's oh, so very underrated and and fun too. He played a couple Petty songs, um, but then he mixed in some of his solo stuff that sounds a lot like Petty. But then again, they were you know they've been playing together since they were like fifteen years old in in Florida. By the way, um, one of the games that I did not watch was the Florida Utah game that I heard was an outstanding game. But I heard someone on the radio today talking about how. Tom Petty's won't back down after the third quarter at the swamp has surpassed jump around um, at Wisconsin after the third quarter. And to that, I say, of course, I mean, one is a much better song and it's from his hometown. It has a more personal connection to the Gators. And that is very, very high on my list going to the swamp simply for that third quarter. Oh yeah. No question. Right. It's like, it's like, it's no, like I jump around is cool. We saw it. Like it's pretty cool. But um, it's, it's Don't Back Down's a better song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, of course, Gainesville is Tom Petty's hometown. So can't wait to see that one day. I was not at a music festival, but I must say I was texting you guys. So um, uh, my sister Colleen texted me like I had no idea this was happening. And I was like, I was texting about how I'll get there later. Game day is becoming very cartoonish at this point. Like I'm I like, completely agree. And there's an announcement that happened today that will uh, – Make I it worse. Add to its I know. cartoonery. 
So like I was like texting her like, oh, this game like really sucks, and there was no big noon kickoff because that game was on Thursday or whatever. She's like, oh, you can tune into the Taylor Hawkins concert. I'm like, what are you talking about? So um, Taylor Hawkins, the late drummer of the Foo Fighters, and I don't know if mm-hmm. you really like like the Foo Fighters, Mike, but uh, I do, I do, I respect them. I'm not huge into them, but uh, others who I do respect love them. And what I think people like about so this guy Taylor Hawkins, amazing drummer, but this whole concert was like about like. Um, of course, paying tribute to him, but like it was all of his favorite artists, okay? And mm-hmm. all these folks adored him because him and Dave Grohl both, they're so enthusiastic. They love rock and roll. They love mm-hmm. it, right? Um, it, it came across, I so like the opening act was Liam Gallagher from Oasis, did a phenomenal job. There was, Rush was there. I can't even remember, like the Pretenders were there. It was an epic, long concert. Paul McCartney was there. Just Look, it was number two on my TV, but when it was a big act that I loved, it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal show. So, and didn't his son play uh, d- uh, drums with uh, with the food played, with Dave Grohl a couple of the tracks? Hero. And I heard he was pretty good. He played My Hero, which is very fitting, and he was like the kid's phenomenal. It's absolutely yeah. phenomenal. So yeah. it was an awesome, awesome show. Um, all right, Mike, college football. Let's start right away on Thursday. Now, I think you were more engaged with the West Virginia Pitt game than I was. I'll let you start there. What were your thoughts on Pitt 38, West Virginia 31? I'll say this right off the bat. We said last week, I'm still shocked they hadn't played since 2011. That's mind-blowing. 11-year gap. And, Tim, we rightfully knocked Pitt for its uh, locale in a NFL stadium, the former Heinz Field, whatever the hell it's called now. I have no idea. Uh, but they set a set a Pittsburgh city of Pittsburgh sports record for the biggest crowd. It was over seventy thousand fans, and the atmosphere was tremendous there. First of all, Pitt's uniforms were outstanding as well. Uh, it was a well played game on both sides. The turnovers obviously killed uh, Pitt. I think I read a stat. I did read a stat where all of last year there were two pick sixes the whole season in the fourth quarter that put a team that was down up and there were two such pick sixes on Thursday night. That speaks to what you're talking about with the sport always delivering, but it was a great, great game, great atmosphere. Both teams played incredibly hard and it better not be another 11 years. I think they're playing in West Virginia next year. Then they have a break for two to three years and then they're, they'd have another home and home, but this thing needs to be an annual game. I mean, and the announcers, Matt Barry and Lewis Riddick, I think, who are a great team. You could tell how much they were loving life uh, announcing that game. It's like, what's the downside of playing it every year? It's an easy local commute, right, for your fans and for the players. It's a bus ride, yeah. It, it's, it gets national attention. People like people were into that game. Um, I think it helps both schools recruiting-wise. Like, both are battling for recruits in, like, Western Pennsylvania. Right? I just don't get why you wouldn't play. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't uh, either. And West West Virginia at least held on to the cover, covering by the hook. I know that's <laughs> uh, not too important to him right now, but yeah, it was a it was an awesome game. And then on TV two, I had of course the Nits and the Boilers, and uh, I'll let you talk about that one. So Penn State thirty eight, Purdue thirty one. Again, I said last week I picked Purdue. Um, I truly believe Purdue's a, a good football team. Penn State and Purdue do share one deficiency. They still can't run the ball. That was very apparent in this game. Yeah, neither neither team could run it at all. 
Um, I thought it would look, it was a wildly entertaining game, just absolutely outstanding. I think at one point Penn State was up 21 nothing, and I felt like not at all secure whatsoever, justifiably mm-hmm. so. Classic Sean Clifford. So this guy um on ESPN, he's coined the term the Sean Clifford experience. It's so telling. Like he had a great first half, I thought. Um, he did have some health issues, the unexplained cramps. I was like, what kind of cramps did was he having here? Um came <laughs> How back hot and- was it there in West Lafayette? And uh Came back in and threw one of the worst pick sixes you'll ever see in your life, mm-hmm. right? Changed the tide of the game, you thought. Um, and I, at that point, I was like, we we, we lost the game. It's over, right? Because um, he was playing so horribly in the, like, the second half. Like, you couldn't envision a scenario where they would actually rally and score. Um, Purdue decided, even with a lead and the clock, like, in a favorable position for them, Jeff Brom decided, I'm not going to run the ball at all. They're play calling with their absolute stubborn refusal to even the key state thing that you just said was at all. They would not run the ball one time twice on two separate drives. They refused to run the ball. Their clock management was abhorrent at the end of the game. They handed it to Penn state on a silver platter. I think uh, the last two drives, look, Purdue had two chances, two drives that could have like cemented the game. Okay. Yep. On those two drives they ran 14 plays and threw the ball 13 times. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, the the amount of clock they could have bled, or forced Penn State to take their timeouts, which I think Penn State got the ball back. They had two timeouts still. They and did have two timeouts. And how much time? Like two and a half, three minutes, something like that. Like they, yeah, they scored with. Uh, I mean, not a lot. They scored with definitely way less than a minute left. And uh, you would you think about all the time Purdue wasted with those incomplete passes? It just it would kill me if I was a Boiler fan. So anyway, again, like get the ball back and you got to give him credit. Like Clifford was awesome on that last drive. Flawless. Mm-hmm. Absolutely flawless. Um, I think a, a, a really important win for James Franklin, just in terms of the fans, like if they lost that game, there'd be so much grumbling, Mike, so much grumbling. Of course um, there would have been. It would have started right here on the show. <laughs> um, so a great entertaining game. I think Purdue, I, th- I still think they're a legit contender in the Big Ten West. Um good football team they got to figure something out though on the ground they got to figure something out you can't win that way props uh, to their fans too by the way uh, i don't know if, was it an official blackout but it it would look like a great atmosphere there too in west lafayette i think it's the best purdue atmosphere i've seen since that famous win over ohio state a couple years ago right that yeah then when they, they they slammed osu yeah yeah uh speaking of which number two Ohio state 21 number five notre dame 10 this game went I don't think the way anyone thought it was going to. I think everyone was on board with like, oh, how's this going to destroy these guys? All due credit to Notre Dame. Played hard. Really, really hard. Um, Ohio State, you know, they've got so many weapons. So many weapons on offense. But in the end, the opposite of Purdue, I think um, Ohio State knew that, hey, we, uh, defensively, we can contain Notre Dame and we're going to run the ball. And they ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball. This is a classic Midwest matchup, Mike. Yeah, they seem they were very content to win this one 21-10. Um, after, I thought it was interesting. I saw Ryan Day's comments after the game. You know, he was going out of his way to to praise his team and talk about what a great team win it was and if they're going to have to win this way the whole rest of the season. He loved to do it. I think a lot of people were probably grumbling about it wasn't the offensive performance they expected from Ohio State, but I loved the way Ryan Day approached it by – just talking about how, um, you know, complete a team victory was, how great their defense played, how well their offensive line played. And 
And hey, if you're, you're going to have to win some games like that moving through the season, and they're happy to do it. Um, speaking of atmosphere, it's awesome atmosphere in Columbus, huh? Awesome, 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 awesome. Um, would love to see these two teams play every year too. And hey, Notre Dame, if you join the Big Ten, you can. There you go, <laughs> right? And nice get you get you can get smashed by Ohio State every. You think that's one of their top five reasons they join the Big Ten? <laughs> It's, I mean, that's my experience as a Penn State fan, basically. <laughs> uh, number three, Georgia 49, number 11, Oregon 3. Um, you hear coaches talk about this all the time in college football. Again, there's no preseason, right? You jump right into week one, and, like, you hear coaches talking about the biggest improvement you make in a season is week one to week two. And all these teams are rusty. There's mistakes to work out, um, personnel things. Special teams are generally a, a mess. Then you have Georgia, who looked like finished product with week one here. Mike, this was an absolutely, completely dominating performance. We talk about confidence all the time. This is a confident football team, a confident coaching staff. Oregon, who is a good team, had no shot. Yeah, it was Georgia's biggest win ever over an AP-ranked top, I think, 15 team. Uh, but the question is, Oregon could be horrible. I mean, that's another thing you have in college football. You know, why were they ranked number two? What were they ranked coming into this game? 12 or something? And why were they ranked 12? I, I don't know, because their name is Oregon, because they have, have flashy green uniforms. You have no idea. Um, that being said, it was a, it was an awesome performance by Georgia. Stetson Bennett was fantastic. Their defense looked just as good as it did last year. Keep in mind, though, they're going against Bo Nix, which is uh, something that a lot of ACE or uh, SEC defenses had success with in previous years. Yeah, it was funny. It's like uh, the one the one entertaining thing game day did do last week. They had a segment, Mike, where they asked like one by one, like they would spin this wheel and um, it would be like a, a quarterback. And then they would ask like, all right, Desmond, where is this player now? <laughs> right. Yeah. And these are guys who like do college football for a living. <laughs> because of the transfers. That's, that I didn't see that. They had like almost all of them guessed wrong. They had no idea where the players were. It's really hard. It's like how did I forget that Bo Nix is at Oregon? <laughs> I know. I know. He might not be the starter for long, though. <laughs> no. Bo Nix has had a very interesting college career, hasn't he? He has. He has. Yeah. Uh, Florida 29, number seven, Utah 26. Huge win for Florida. Talk about a confidence boost. Um, and again, that atmosphere also looked tremendous down there in Gainesville. Yeah, and from everything I've read and saw, uh, Utah played great. It was just a well-played game by both teams. A lot of praise for Anthony Richardson this week. He looks like a breakout star, but Cam Rising and that Utah offense played very well. Um, you know, they had a chance to win it at the end. Utah didn't. Florida came up with the interception in the end zone. So I think that's one that, depending on how Florida does moving forward, because you really think Utah is going to, uh, if not completely run the Pac-12, you know, win it. Depending on how Florida does, I don't think that necessarily knocks Utah out of the playoff uh, out of playoff contention because of the nature of the game and how how well both teams played. Quick aside that has nothing to do with college football, Mike. Um, I watched a video today that was produced by the Wall Street Journal. I've been hearing about like the shrinking Great Salt Lake. Have you been following this story? I um, have not been following this story. I've been following the story of the shrinking of Lake Mead, I believe it is, out in um uh nevada where all the bodies are popping up yeah that's been fascinating too same thing i mean look let's be honest like we got some climate shit going on and but the the great salt lake thing is like it's bad 
like it's really bad and what's happening is it like as the lake shrinks it's leaving behind all these heavy metals from the mining industry there and mm. like it could a lake nearby a similar lake has dried up and if this lake dries up which is totally possible by 2040 they said like you'll have like arsenic floating around in the air in salt lake city it's a real problem it's a fascinating <laughs> fascinating uh story and it's like all the all the easy stuff it's like they keep diverting water from the rivers that feed the lake and the lake is shrinking badly it's like almost half the size of what it was and it's like i'm not an expert on water but like maybe fill the lake back up it seems important <laughs> right mike thanks uh, for uh educating us with that aside anyway uh number eight michigan 51 colorado state seven i actually watched most of this game because i'm a big 10 person um i know colorado state's colorado state michigan looked again very polished for week one i was impressed by them even though jim harbaugh remains potentially the weirdest coach in college <laughs> well mcnown arcade uh k mcnown right arcade uh what's his name they're their quarterback who started Mac their quarterback Mac mcnamara right Okay, McNamara, that's right. He uh, played well, but uh, the other quarterback is starting week two, and I heard a guy on the radio today talking about how he fully expects they have Hawaii coming up, which will be an, another bloodbath. So this other quarterback, uh, apparently the one Harbaugh likes more, he is expected to have a great game, and then this guy said he'll definitely be starting in week three. So the quarterback um, controversy or soap opera, something to watch there in Michigan, but it was a nice week one win for him. Harbaugh described last week his decision on the quarterback as being, quote, biblical. <laughs> he has been talking a lot about the Bible and religion in the offseason. He certainly has. Interesting yeah. territory to wade into if you're a college football coach. It's like talking about the drying up of the Great Salt Lake if you're a college football <laughs> podcaster. Fascinating, fascinating. Number 13, NC State 21, East Carolina 20. Speaking of week one special teams issues. Poor kicker for East Carolina. He missed what? A, a go ahead. I missed a field goal and an extra point. I believe that were both. That yeah, both he teams. missed. He missed the go ahead. So at this point, I was uh, listening on my beloved uh, Learfield IMG College Football Blitz. It's just so good. Everyone, please listen to this on Saturdays. It's so good. Um, this game was wildly entertaining. Yeah, I think he he missed a potential go ahead field goal, and then East Carolina. The atmosphere there was really cool. Um, they drove down, they scored a touchdown. It's like, okay, and then he misses the extra point. And it wasn't blocked. He just missed it. Very painful. I've always heard that Greenville, North Carolina, home of East Carolina, is a great place to watch a college football game, even though it's not, you know, one of your top, 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 uh, you know, atmospheres because it's a it's a group of five program. But I've always heard that's a it's a really fun place to go for a game. You think about it, like, you wouldn't think, like, North Carolina has UNC, Duke, Wake Forest, East Carolina – Appalachian State, right? Who am I missing? That's five. Yeah, yeah they have a lot of they have a lot of uh, D one football down there. You're right. You wouldn't necessarily think it. Think about it. Oh God, they have Charlotte too. Like they play Division one football. It's like, and it's not a big football state, right? No. But, yeah. Interesting. Um, number nineteen, Arkansas thirty one. Number twenty three, Cincinnati twenty four. I'll admit, I did not see this game at all. I have heard Arkansas looked very, very good. Good first win for them. This program does seem to be under this new leadership um, on the right trajectory. Good for Arkansas. Yeah, I didn't. I did not see this game either, but I love Coach Pittman. Did you read his quote about how some people bring iced tea to a party and some people bring hard liquor? Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly what he was talking about, but I completely support the analogy. 
That was a very Jim Harbaugh-ish kind of comment. Like, what are you talking about, right? <laughs> um, Mike, how about Indiana 23, Illinois 20? I know you were very upset last week that Illinois had the advantage of having played a game. Um, but in the end, your Hoosiers pulled it out. It was very, very apparent in the first half, too. IU looked incredibly rusty slash not talented at all. And Illinois played much, much sharper, basically for three and a half quarters. Turnovers hurt both teams. But IU had a great defensive stand, a couple great defensive stands um, in the second half. We have this linebacker named Cam Jones, who's going to be a superstar, but uh, he's he doesn't have a lot of talent around him. And I don't know where our playmakers are going to come from on the on the on offense. But we had 70 yards of total offense in the second half until the last drive, where Connor Bozlak, our new transfer quarterback from Missouri, took us 75 yards down the field for the winning touchdown. The, the reaction in Bloomington was like we won the Super Bowl, which when you think about it, kind of is first Big Ten win since the pandemic season. Um, we're already halfway to last year's win total. This was a huge, huge win. If we had lost this game at home to Illinois, you know, it could have easily been another 2-10 and 10 season. And I mean, who are we kidding? It still could be another 2-10 and 10 season, but it was a great, great win for Indiana and Tom Allen. Speaking of great wins, how about Florida State 24, LSU 23? Did you watch any of this game, Mike? I did not. No, I missed all of this game. I will just say this, and I think everyone who watched this game would agree. Brian Kelly looked so miserable the entire time. LSU did not look good. To poor tackling, just sloppy overall. There were shots of his star receiver pouting on the bench. Um Brian Kelly, in pure Brian Kelly fashion, after the game, basically blamed his players for the loss, which is always a good look for a coach, right? Um, it From the very – this never made sense to me. This never made sense. Like, Coach O, of course, made his mistakes. But, yeah, Coach O is someone who could coach LSU. Why in the hell is Brian Kelly coaching LSU? I guarantee you this last two years. There's no way this is going to work. They looked like a – bunch of individuals on the field who were not like on the same page didn't there was no team spirit the sideline body language was terrible uh florida state by contrast looked like hey we knew this is a huge game this is a program win for us a mm -hmm. program win um again the optics you know the optics mike the optics you could tell from the first quarter and it was a close game who was win the game because florida state seemed to care a lot more than lsu did i, I just do not buy the Brian Kelly experiment at LSU whatsoever. It was very interesting listening to our beloved Rick Neuheisel this week on um, Full Ride. He was talking about how he thinks Brian Kelly will work uh, at LSU because he's just too proven and too good of a coach. But he said there are going to be some very, very painful growing pains, and that's what we're in now. Of course, the scuttlebutt this week was all about he was trying. Every time he tries to be funny or show his personality, it completely backfires. And, of course, he was chastising the media, some of the media members, for arriving late at his press conference this week. And he was joking about how it's going to be a $10 fine for media members who are live, right? And then they'll all have a party with the money. It was not a bad comment. It was just him trying to show a little life in his personality. But it backfired. And, of course, the one reporter responded, we'll get here on time if you win. And uh, the, the all the blood rushed out of his face when he heard that comment. But you're right. It's going to be uh, it's it's an awkward fit. And the only thing that will get it past awkwardness is winning. Doesn't look like it, that's going to happen this year.
but this is my thing. It's like, you know, I, I really like, I think Newhouse great. And I think he's probably right with time. Brian Kelly can figure it out. You go back to his days, like way back, like before Cincy, where was he, Mike? Like uh, Grand Valley State or something like that. Like Yeah, Central Michigan. Central Michigan. First he came from Grand Valley, then Central Michigan, then Cincy, then Notre Dame, I believe. And he's won everywhere. Okay. So, yeah, the body of work is there. The issue is if New Heisel's thinking this is like a three-year project, you've been there, Mike, and you have friends <laughs> who are LSU fans. They're not waiting three years. No, they don't believe in three-year projects for LSU. Uh, no. So, again, that'll be a fascinating story to watch this season. I just, again, he just, he seems like a very unlikable person. I'm sorry. He Maybe does. He does, doesn't seem like he has a very good personality. No. Uh, oh, game I forgot, Mike. Appy State, North Carolina. How about that one? This game I watched almost the entire second half. It was bonkers. Uh, it was also so stupid, not once, but twice. North Carolina had the opportunity as their player was streaking toward the end zone with no one in front of him. If he would have just gone down, the game would have been over. Not once, Tim, but twice. Now, as we always say, it's very difficult to hope a college kid can process all this, uh, you know, in the in a split second. You know, you're programmed your entire life. If you're a running back, the hole opens, you run for a touchdown. If you're on the special team, I forgive this one even. Uh, I, give, I give this one a little less leeway. They recovered an onside kick, and the guy ran it back for a touchdown. Again, now that's a situation where your coach has to tell the onside kick team, hey, if you recover this onside kick, just go down. And of course, after the onside kick, Carolina scores. Uh, Appalachian State drives the ball down with no problem whatsoever to score a touchdown with, I think, eight seconds left. They went for the two-point conversion to tie it, and it and it failed. 63-61 Carolina final. Wildly entertaining game, but frustrating to me because twice, twice, if they had just gone down, game would have been over. Um, I think, unfortunately, Appy State and East Carolina are very far apart, right? So it would be hard to do a doubleheader down there, right? Yeah, one's in the mountains, one's in the beach. <sighs> they both seem like cool-ass places to watch a game, though. Absolutely. I've heard Boone is beautiful, by the way. Yeah, the, the shots that you see of it on television are look gorgeous. Uh, number four, Clemson, 41, Georgia Tech, 10. Hello to the compadres. Um, I'm hearing a lot. Like, it's it's very easy to, to fall in the group thing early in the year. I think we all did with Ohio State a little bit, like thinking they were yeah. like the greatest team of all time. Um, there is much, much group thinking. It could be correct that Clemson is, like, going to be legit Clemson again not what they were last year when in the end they were okay last year just a rough start yeah they they really what i heard a lot of, about following this game this game i watched the first half of this game on my flight home it's fun watching a live college football game on a on a flight home by the way uh is that their offensive line play really needs to improve um and that was echoed by some of the compadres i spoke with this week so uh, Georgia Tech is a game, of course, they they should easily win, although they didn't last year. They beat Tech, but it was a very close game. So we'll see how they do moving forward. It looked good uh, final score-wise. I think there's still a lot of room for improvement for them on the field. So overall, like 1 to 10, 10 being like, hey, we're, we're awesome, and 1 being that this is the end of the world. Like, where are the Capadres heads at, you think? Like seven? I would guess, not to speak for them, but I would guess probably around a 6. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mike, the first edition of the top 25 for the year, and I'm going to do the coaches poll. 
Okay. All right. That's good because I haven't looked at this. And so I really don't even know what's coming, except for, right. of course, the top five. Drop from rankings from the coaches poll Cincinnati and Houston. Okay. Fair enough. Others receiving votes, selected others receiving votes. We have Tennessee and Penn State on the cusp of breaking in. We have Iowa with 44 votes. 44 <laughs> points. 44 points. They won't score 44 points this whole season unless they get 22 safeties. I mean, look, there's a lot to like about Iowa. Like, I think, like, it would be a fun place to go to school and, like, cool atmosphere or whatever. Having to watch that offense every year must be just, like, just – Oh my God! Two, two, two safeties and a field goal. Say no more. Florida State thirty-three votes. Um, Air Force eighteen. We got UCLA with six. By the way, speaking of UCLA, did you see the shots of the Rose Bowl last week? No. Where were there like one hundred and seventy-five people there? So the I think the the what I saw the the photos are um not good optics for UCLA. That stadium holds what a hundred thousand people probably. I'm guessing yeah, fifteen thousand people there. Oh my god! This seems, by the way, like a good time to talk about the attendance real quick at the Duke Temple game because we speculated about that last time. It was actually twenty thousand seven hundred. What did I guess? Twenty two. Yeah, I think I think you guessed over. I guess way under that. So capacity at the Rose Bowl eighty eight thousand five sixty five. Okay. Still looked really bad, <laughs> really bad. Um, others, we have uh, Utah State, Minnesota, Syracuse, Oregon State, Texas Tech, Louisiana, North Carolina, and Northwestern all receiving votes. So here we go, 25 through 20, 25 BYU, 24 Oregon, 23 Ole Miss, 22 Texas, 21 Wake Forest. So Oregon stays in the coaches' poll, huh? They were they were booted out of the uh, AP poll. Yeah. Uh 20, Kentucky, 19, Florida, 18, Wisconsin, 17, Arkansas, 16, Miami. Miami, interesting, off the off the uh, the props that they get for beating Bethune-Cookman. Uh, Wisconsin's a team we haven't really heard anything about, right, this year. And I bet you no. they're just going to have a normal Wisconsin season where they're 10-3 and three and run the ball against everyone. Uh, 15, Utah, 14, Pitt, 13, NC State, 12, USC, 11, Sparty. Uh, Sparty, huh? Uh, they they had a very uh, ho hum week one win. Um, I, did where, did you say Utah was in there? Top fifteen? Utah's fifteen, yeah. Okay, yeah, still like Utah. Uh, ten, our beloved Oklahoma State. Nine, Notre Dame. Um, eight, Baylor. Seven, Oklahoma. Six, A and M. I'm dubious of A and M this year, Mike. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, Oklahoma. That, that's a that's a whole a whole handful of teams that I wouldn't be surprised if a few of them were not ranked at the end of the season. Five, Michigan, four, Clemson, three, Ohio State, two, Georgia, one, Bama. Like, <laughs> top four, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Bama. They'll just stay there all year, right? Yeah, they will. I mean, you could just – you could write those down in, in iron. Oh, by the way, so Bama got 57 first-place votes. Georgia only got six, which I think is interesting. Um, yeah. Well, Bama did win 55 nothing Over who, though? What did they play again? Utah State. Yeah, and then Ohio State got two. Clemson got none. Um, all right, moving on. Games of the week. Number one, Bama at Texas, noon, Fox. Hey, this will be a fun atmosphere at this game, right? Like, that's two fun cultures there. Um, but I do uh, – I certainly worry for that. Was it Quinn Ewers, the Texas quarterback, Mike? 
Yeah, it'll be fun maybe for the first half, for pregame in the first half, but I don't think there are going to be a lot of empty seats there in the second half. Uh, the Tide favored by 20 and the hook, 20 and a half on the road against Texas. I won't be taking it, but if I did, I'd certainly take Bama. I, I'm, I'm surprised it's not more, actually. Yeah, so am I. I mean, Texas, they look, they said this for years, they have dudes, they just don't play well. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bad combo if you're a fan. Uh, interesting early SEC uh, game here. South Carolina, who I know like almost nothing about, at number 16, Arkansas, noon ESPN. If you're Arkansas, coming off a good week one win, you definitely want to build on that. And if you're Carolina, this this a win here puts you on the map. Yeah, this is a winnable game for Carolina, even though Arkansas is favored by eight and a half. Uh, Spencer Rattler had a disjointed debut for South Carolina. Uh, he did some good things and, and some poor things, but uh, it'll be uh, interesting to see because Ar- Arkansas had a pretty physical game against Cincinnati from what I read and heard in week one. So uh, you're right. This will be uh, this will be a battle for kind of the middle of the SEC. Uh, <laughs> Ohio University at Penn State noon. For some reason on ABC, Mike, I have no idea why. Um, <laughs> I only mention it because I will be there um, with the whole family going to visit Jack. Really? You're going to the game on Saturday. That's outstanding. So uh, noted non-listener, Allison, my girlfriend, Ohio University alum. Uh, no doubt completely unaware that this game is happening. But uh, maybe I will throw it on one of the TVs this on Saturday to uh, get the uh, Bobcat fan base watching, too. I did not know she went to uh, Ohio. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I did not I did not know that you were going to Penn State this weekend. That's awesome. Um, so it was I bring it up because like I, I realized I was like starting to like prepare for the game. And like our experience, first of all, I realized I've not been to a game there. So when the kids were little, we were the classic, like we go to two games a year, people. We always went mm-hmm. twice a year, right? And the kids start getting busy with their sports or whatever, and like we just stop going and we have our trip. So it's like it's hard to find time, right? Mike, I've not been to a game up there in like 10 years. Wow. And a That's... lot's changed. <laughs> so Aaron's like, do you need to buy tickets? I'm like, no, it's Ohio. Like, you can just like scalp tickets. Well, of course, like I'm such an old man. My sister's like, no, 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 there's no tickets anymore. Like everything's like, you know. Digital, right? Like, how are you going to do that? <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, and they do it on purpose, of course. Like, you know, like they don't want anyone scalping their tickets. So I had to like go and actually buy tickets for an Ohio Penn State game spent like 300 bucks for six tickets which was like outstanding um <laughs> that's one thing jesus christ mike so of course back in the day like you game day you pull up and you paid for your parking when you got to the parking lot and that was it right mm-hmm. you have to prepay for your parking spot now and like penn state like only sends you a hard copy you have to order like two weeks in advance i'm like what the hell this is insane do right? you get it do you get an assigned spot you get an assigned lot. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I was like, I don't have two weeks. The game is like a few days away. Right. So I had to go on StubHub and pay like too much to like pay for someone's like parking pass, which thankfully came in the mail today. Um, <laughs> That's I would be holding my breath till I had that in hand. So what is the tailgate plan? First of all, who's going? Uh, so the whole, the whole family. So me, Aaron, Anna, Leah, Joey, we have two hotel rooms because there's a lot of us, right? We'll have dinner together on friday jack mayor we're sitting at the hotel the hotel's a little bit outside of town so jack may or may not come and then we're going to tailgate we'll do breakfast food like we'll, mm. get, we'll get the lots at like eight eight in the morning um get set up we'll do breakfast at the tailgate it's a noon kick of course 
go to the game, probably stay a half, whether we're winning or losing, it doesn't really matter, and then do lunch at the tailgate back there, and then pack back up, go to the, back to the hotel, and then we have uh, dinner reservations after that. So it'll be a nice... Oh, week. nice. That'll be a great, great weekend. I like the idea of eating breakfast food during the tailgate. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it again, back in the day when I used to go there a lot, like me, me and Chris, like, I think Chris had season tickets. He went for every home game. Like feels like a distant memory of those days, Mike, but, um, <laughs> our, our go-to for, we would get there for noon kicks. We would get there like seven 45 and we were ready to go. Um, vodka martinis with blue cheese olives. That was our thing. That sounds delicious and also very dangerous. It occasionally was, but it was like, it was the best. It was the best. I miss those days. Um, number, by the way, I think hopefully Penn State should win that game, but God knows. Number 24. Yes, they're Penn State's favorite by 24 and a half, FYI. <laughs> number 24, Tennessee at number 17, Pittsburgh, 330, um, ABC. And so Pitt has two games at home against big opponents back to back. Yeah, tip of the hat to them. And if I recall, this was a great game last year. Very yep. close game last year down in Neyland. I think Pitt won it. So Tennessee will have revenge on their minds. This seems like two programs on the rise, doesn't it? Two teams on the ascent. And uh, Pam, or Tennessee is a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. That's a big line to me, Mike. I know. Very surprising. Um, that I mean, I'll be curious. After last week's atmosphere, which was, let's be honest, was partially – the result of the Mountaineers fans being there. Like it yep. was not 50, 50, but that there was a lot of Mountaineers fans there. There uh, were. <laughs> like, uh, Rick Neuheisel was saying like, he was there at the game actually. And it would be like, you know, he's like, when things are going well for Pitt, you would hear like big roars of like, let's go Pitt, let's go Pitt. And then when things are going good for the Mountaineers, it was uh, shit on Pitt, shit on Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Flat sure, on both sides. I'm sure Tennessee will travel very well. Right. Looking, I'm looking forward to this one, though. It, it, and that's, that's a really entertaining, fun game. So that'll be Definitely. great. Um, and I think the winner of this game is set up really nicely going forward, right? You're going to yeah, have for a huge year. Yep. Um, later games, Arizona State at number 11, Oklahoma State, 730 ESPN2. Here, because as we all know, as listeners of this show, we all must do our homework and watch Oklahoma State at least one time. This is a great opportunity to do so. Now, I watched them for about, I don't know, five minutes last week. They got up 55 to something uh, against, I think it was Central Michigan. And then the backups came in, and Central Michigan scored a whole bunch of points in the second half. But their quarterback, Sanders, he's the real deal. They had seven straight touchdowns on seven straight drives last week. So their offense is legit. I don't know much about Arizona State this year. But I like the Cowboys in this game. Oklahoma State, 11.5-point favorites against Herm Edwards. Troops coming in 1-0. and How are you feeling about the Idaho Vandals at Indiana 8 p.m. on BTM, Mike? Uh, I'm feeling confident. If you're IU, you have all, all the confidence in the world. We Idaho was one of our two wins last year, so uh, there's no line currently available. But I love that it's a night game. The We've been talking a lot about electric atmospheres. That will not be the case at Memorial Stadium Saturday night against Idaho. But uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be curious to see what kind of improvement our offense can uh, can show can muster from week one to week two. Um, a couple fun late games here. Number nine Baylor at number twenty one BYU ten fifteen ESPN. Interesting um, culture clash here. Like you, what Baylor is like super? Are they Methodists? Is that what they are down there? 
or like uh they're baptist i think baptist southern baptist maybe i forget um and then you have byu of course mormon that's a this is an interesting interesting game yeah uh byu it'd be a great game i don't know if i'll be able to make it till 10 15 on a saturday though uh byu three and a half point favorites baylor comes in the higher ranked team they come in you know defending pack or, or uh, big 12 champs and uh BYU can play with anyone. They, they've shown that over the last couple of years. So this will be their, their future conference rivals, but this will be a, a great game for anyone who can make it up to 1030 on uh, on Saturday night. Finally, the late, late game, 11 p.m., Mississippi State at Arizona FS1. Just an interesting two teams to play each other at 11 p.m. <laughs> yeah, you wonder how these two athletic directors got together and scheduled this game. Arizona coming off a of, Great week one win for them against San Diego State and uh, Mississippi State there. They are 11 and a half point road favorites in the desert against the Wildcats. 11 p.m. kickoff. Is this one available on anything other than the Pac-12 networks? And is the Pac-12 network still a thing? It's on FS1. Hmm. Yeah. All right. You could have two TVs going uh, late night Saturday night with Baylor BYU and Mississippi State Arizona. It's... I like it. There should be a like the uh, the Pac-12 and the SEC should like try and own the 11 p.m. Saturday night window and have only like random lower level teams in their conference play each other. <laughs> that's a great that's a great idea. Mississippi State Arizona is a perfect one to kick it off. You could have like Arizona State Vanderbilt sometimes, or I mean the possibilities are endless here. Um, yeah, yeah. Missouri like, could go play uh, Washington State. <laughs> that would be good. I like that one. Um, all right, Mike, our picks last week were what? So I went with Rutgers to cover against Boston College. Uh, I was not too confident when I saw a tweet that said Rutgers just opened their season by going three and out with a different guy playing QB on each play. <laughs> Yet the Scarlet Knights came through and won outright by a point over Boston College. So that was a, a great win for me, Tim. You went. You went with Oregon. <laughs> yeah, pretty disastrous uh, selection for you. Off to a roaring start as usual, Mike. Um, all right, Bobby at the bumper. Plays bets on college football. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't gamble. I don't. Pushers. I never Pushers. have. Tim, for this week's lock of the week, we're going to Nashville, Tennessee, home of the Vanderbilt Commodores, who come in a resounding 2-0. That's right. They have two wins because they played on week zero against Hawaii. In comes Wake Forest. Now, Wake is getting... Um, Star quarterback Sam Hartman back, but he has not played. Did not play in their first game, and he did not play in much of their camp. I'm banking on the fact that he's rusty. The the spread opened Wake Forest minus seven on the road, and it's all the way up to Wake Forest minus thirteen and a half. So I will take the Vanderbilt Commodores plus the thirteen and a half, and I will take Pitt to cover versus Tennessee. Mike, I knew you were going to go that way when I told you. So you're getting six and a half points. Uh, at Heinz, the, the, the stadium formerly known as Heinz. What is it now? I have no idea. I guess I can Google it while you uh, talk. But it's definitely not Heinz anymore? Why? Yeah, it's not Heinz Field. These must be tough times for ketchup. 
ketchup business. <laughs> it's called a Krizier Stadium. Oh, of course, everyone knows a Krizier. Yeah, it's probably some soulless uh, insurance company, if I had to guess. <laughs> anyway, Mike, your plans this weekend are what? Uh, finally, Tim, after three straight weekends on the road, I have absolutely no plans. I will be staying in and doing nothing but watching football all day on Saturday. So I can't wait. And again, I'll be, uh, working starting at like seven 30 to drag my kids out of bed to get to the tailgate in time. Um, I'm sure Aaron will be thrilled as well to like, <laughs> please send pictures. Yeah. So many uh, pictures of the tailgating throughout the day. I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Um, yeah, can't right, wait till next week's show to hear how it goes up there in State College. Enjoy the game. Yep. And there's one thing to say, Mike. Pachas. Pachas. Thank you for listening to the TCFA podcast. For more college football news and wit, visit intelligentcollegefootball.com.